Well, good morning, IEC. It, it is a, a real treat and a joy, an honor and a privilege to get to be back here with you this Sunday. Uh, me and my family have been away for a few weeks, and it is really good to be back here at IEC. We so enjoy getting to worship and being a part of what God is doing in and through this church. God has been using this church for a long time in some amazing ways, and we're excited that God continues to use this place. If, um, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Pastor Steve Winstead, and I would love to get a chance to share with you more about our church. Pastor Mike mentioned we've got some meetings right in here between services next Sunday and then September 5th and September 19th uh, from 1030 till 1115. So if you want to come and just ask questions, learn more about maybe life in Addis, life in Ethiopia, maybe you want to learn more about IEC, it's really informal and we'll just take time to answer a lot of your questions. Well, Today we're starting a new series. It'll be a brief series. It'll be a four-week series. But it's on a book that I suspect very few have ever heard preached on. It's a book that if I ask for a show of hands and said, how many of you have studied this book? Probably go up. It's a book that if I ask you, hey, how many of you have even read this book? We might not get as many hands as we hope. Well, it's the book of Habakkuk. It's an Old Testament book. It's in a section of Scripture that we call the Minor Prophets. It's a very brief book, only three chapters long, 56 verses, and we're going to cover it in the next four weeks here in August. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to read a passage in a minute, but I want to give you time to turn to Habakkuk because it could take you a minute to get It's in the Old Testament, and it's only about two and a half pages, so don't be surprised if it takes you a minute to find it. But before we dive into the scripture, I just want to set up a little bit of the historical context. Because if you don't understand what is going on in the world and in Israel at the time that Habakkuk wrote, you're going to have difficulty understanding the book. I've got a, a chart that's up here. And it shows you a little bit of what was going on with this nation called Israel. You can see up here that the nation of Israel had three kings that ruled over the entire nation. God established this nation, Israel. They were to be his chosen people to take God's glory to all the nations. Yet they struggled at it mightily. In fact, they struggled with jealousy of the nations of the world. They were to be a different people. Scripture will call them at times a peculiar people. You see, God intended that they not have an earthly king. God was to be their king. So when Israel would march into battle, they didn't have a physical earthly king like other nations leading them. No, they had the Ark of the Covenant, a box, where God's presence rested uniquely. Well, over the decades... Centuries, God's people begin to say, we want to be like all the other nations, God. Give us an earthly king. And God finally relented and said, here, you can have what you've asked for. Do you know sometimes when we ask God, 
We can beg God for things, and it may not be for our best. It may not be for our good, and at times God will say, hey, I'll let you try that. And that's what he does with this king. First king you see here is Saul. He's known as a man with no heart for God. He ruled for his own glory, his own fame, his own ease. He was jealous. He struggled mightily. He ruled for 40 years. The next king ruled for 40 years, David. David was about the opposite of Saul. He had a full heart for God. He loved the Lord. Yet he struggled greatly with sin, with morality that would plague his life and plague his kingdom. His son Solomon would take over. And Solomon too, each of these three kings over Israel ruled for 40 years. Pretty easy to remember. They each get to rule for what we call a generation in Scripture. And after Solomon rules, because of God's people's hard-heartedness, the nation divides into two nations. The northern nation becomes Israel. Typically called Israel in Scripture, ten of the twelve tribes go there. The southern nation is called Judah, because that was the largest of the two tribes there. And Judah... It's a unique nation. It's where Jerusalem, the holy city of God, is. It's also the nation from whom Messiah will come. Messiah will come out of the tribe of Judah. And these two nations split north and south. They have 20 kings each. Only five kings in the south are declared to do right in the eyes of God. The other 35 kings are all declared to have done Hear that? Sometimes we ask for something and God goes, here, see how this works. And that's what happens. God sends prophets to speak on his behalf to the nation. And when you read the prophets, if you're, if you're like me, like most people, they get very confusing. The style of literature is difficult. Understanding the context is difficult. So that's why I want to take a little time to make sure we understand this. The northern kingdom, two kings wrote, two prophets, Amos and Hosea, wrote to them. Southern kingdom, 15 of the prophets wrote to them. And you can see down there Habakkuk. He wrote before what we call the exile. There was a period where God's people were carried away from the land of Israel into captivity First, the north in Assyria in 722 B.C. You can see that up at the top. The northern kingdoms carried away. We really don't hear from them again. And then, in 586 B.C., the southern kingdom is carried away by Babylon. And what God allows, God allows a godless, pagan nation to judge his people. They had grown so hard-hearted. And that's what Habakkuk's dealing with. He's writing and he's dealing with this nation that's become hard-hearted. This nation that's wrestling with God. And he's different from a lot of the other prophets. You see, most of the prophets have what they do. They say, God talks to the prophet and the prophet says, Nation of Israel, Judah, here's what the Lord says. And it's usually something like this. Judgment is coming if you don't change. 
Sometimes it's judgment's coming. You've reached such a point of no return. God is sending judgment. But Habakkuk is different. Listen to what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk looks at the people of Israel. And he looks at God and says, God, what are you doing? Aren't you God? Aren't you holy? Aren't you righteous? Aren't you all-powerful? God, why, why aren't you doing anything? Habakkuk doesn't speak for God to the people. He speaks from the people to God. He questions God. He can't figure out what's going on. And again, this book's called A Minor Prophet. There's 17 prophets in the Old Testament. Five are called major, 12 are minor. Just so you know, the designation has nothing to do with importance. Major doesn't mean it's really important. And minor, it's not important. Basically, major means it's a big, big prophecy. 56 chapters, 66 chapters, 48 chapters, long books. Minor prophets, Habakkuk, three chapters. They're shorter. That's how the general designation works. And in the prophecy of Habakkuk, we get one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. One of the verses, we're going to see it next week. So next week we'll, we'll hunt on this verse. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the Lord says this to Habakkuk. The righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. And God, in His goodness and in His grace, uses that verse to echo throughout the New Testament and to echo throughout time to redeem many people and bring them to himself. Well, as I mentioned, Habakkuk questions God. What's going on? It's a lament more than a prophecy. He's upset over what's happening. This is a book that has been preached at unique seasons in history. During World War II, many pastors turned to the book of Habakkuk to preach to a situation which no one could understand. In the United States, after the events of the terrorist attacks of what we call 9-11, several pastors turned to Habakkuk. Even recently, during the events of COVID, where we look and we say, God, what's going on? Several pastors turned to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk has a simple outline. I'll give it to you on the, on the screen here. Habakkuk's outline is, is pretty easy. He asks two questions with answers. He asks a question, God answers. Another question, God answers. Or I should say a series of questions. Within each question, there's a couple of them. Ask God a question, God answers. That's what we're going to look at this week. Next week, another question, and God will answer. Our third week... God gives five woes upon nations who live godlessly, upon the nation of Babylon. And the final week, we'll see a beautiful prayer. And what we're going to see throughout this book, I've, I've subtitled this Trusting God in Difficult Times. We're going to see that in difficult times, when we can't figure out what God is up to, when our understanding of God and we look at what's happening in the world around us don't seem to, to jive, they don't seem to fit, we can't figure it out, we're going to see how do we live in the midst of that. And we're going to see a back move throughout this book from a man who questions God. He can't figure out God. 
to a man who lives and walks by faith. So it's going to be a, a really fun book, I think, and I think it's going to speak to our day and time. So let's read our passage today, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Know this as we, as we read this passage. Verses 2 through 4 are Habakkuk's questions, okay? Once we hit verse 5, it's God speaking back to Habakkuk. So let's hear the word of our Lord. The, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth, perverted. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that if I told you, you would uh, believe. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than lepers, leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Lord, your word declares that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak today, nothing of significance will be spoken. So we pray that you speak, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, regarding the man Habakkuk, we know almost nothing. We don't even know really how to say his name right. Is it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? Or people will say all sorts of different ways. We're not sure, so don't worry about missaying his name. We'll maybe figure that one out when we get to heaven. But we do know this. Habakkuk knew Scripture well. He quotes from Psalms several times. Many believe uh, that he may have been a priest because he knew Scripture so well. And we know the time that Habakkuk wrote. As I mentioned, the northern kingdom was carried away by the Assyrians in 722. The southern kingdom was carried away in three waves. The first one was in 605. So he wrote before 605, sometime right before that, that time period. But we also 
know that he wrote just after a glorious king called Josiah. Josiah ruled to around 608, 607 B.C. And Josiah, when you read the, the Old Testament, as I mentioned, of the 20 kings of the north and 20 kings of the south, five, five kings in the south are, have done, are declared to have done right in the eyes of the Lord. The other 35 kings are declared to have done evil in the Lord's eyes. Well, one of those kings that did well was a king named Josiah. He's an amazing king. And here's really all we need to know about Josiah for our context today. He brought the nation to repentance. He turned them from idolatry, from pagan worship, and brought them back to God. But here's the issue. When Josiah dies... There's a succession of new kings. Some of them serve a month. Some of them serve a year. And over the course of about two to three years, the nation completely loses its way. Are you ever amazed at how quickly sometimes things seem to change? Sometimes it seems like things can change really quickly, and that's what he's looking at. He's going, how has this changed so quickly? And he's looking at it, and Habakkuk cries out to God and says, God, what's going on with the nation of Israel? Do you not see your people? They were worshiping you under Josiah. Now, they're chasing after their own ways. They ignore your good law. God gave the law to show people his grace and mercy, how they're to live. It shows our sinfulness, but it shows us how to live. And he asked in verse 2, how long shall I cry out? Here's essentially what Habakkuk's doing. He's looking out at the world around him. And he sees chaos. He sees despair. He sees godlessness. And he looks at God and he says, God, don't you care? God, are you indifferent? Life in Israel... It's become miserable. It's become hard. It's become difficult. Aren't you going to do anything about this? And he asked God two questions in this first question set. First one in verse 2. How long? How long shall I cry for help and you not hear? How long shall I cry to you violence and you not save? Some have said that Habakkuk speaks to God in some of the most rude, unholy manner of anybody in Scripture. Habakkuk doesn't seem to hold back. He looks at God and goes, God, what are you doing? How long do we have to endure this? How long before you're going to do something about your people? Don't you see them, God? God, I thought you were holy. God, I, I thought you were all-powerful. I thought you knew all things. What are you going to do about this, God? He is calling God out, asking God to do something. And the second question in verse 3, Why? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you make me idly look along at wrong? God, why? Why is all this happening? How long do we have to endure it and why? Two pretty simple questions. Questions that many of us have probably asked at times in difficult situations in life. 
We look and we say, God, why haven't you changed this in my life? God, how long do I have to wait? You know, we can look at this in our day. We look at a global pandemic and COVID and we go, why, God? What, what are you doing with this? And how long, God? Every time it seems like there's an end in sight, it comes back. What are you doing? How long and why? Or we look at things happening here in our nation, Ethiopia. We see violence. We see fighting. We see unrest. We long for peace. Aren't you a God of peace? How long is this going to go on, God? Why aren't you acting, God? Why don't you do something? God, the economy seems to be getting worse. Inflation. How long? Why don't you do something? In our personal lives, we have struggles and difficulties. Why and how long? We ask those questions all the time. There's so many applications that we can take from Habakkuk, this book written over 2,600 years ago that apply to us in our day and time in our lives. I'll tell you, I'm not going to be able to make all the applications. I won't attempt to. But I pray as we go through this book that God, that His Holy Spirit will draw parallels between our day, our time, our situation, your life, and what he's speaking to Habakkuk. And that we might be like Habakkuk and see us move from questioning, not understanding, to trusting God more fully, more holy. You see, we hear, we hear so many voices on all the issues in our world today. Think of all the voices you hear. You hear it from friends, neighbors, co-workers, you turn on the news. You look at social media. You get voices over and over again speak to you. But the main voice we need to hear is God. We need to hear from God. As we look out and say, what's going on? We need to hear from Him. And in Habakkuk chapter, in verse 4, here's what he says. The law is paralyzed. Meaning God, people are ignoring you. They're not obeying you. The law seems to have no power. Justice never seems to go forth. The wicked are getting away with it. He says, the wicked surround the righteous. It's a troublesome day. He looks at the wicked and can't understand that. Now, when we see problems, when we see difficulties in our life and world, there's a few ways we can interact. People often call this the problem of evil. When you look out in the world and you see people hungry, you see people in desperate situations. When you see fighting, when you see disease, when you see famine, when you see these things, you look out and we go, what is going on? What, what's happening here? And well, we often respond to the problem. We call the problem of evil in a few different ways. One, some people say, well, don't question God. He's God. We don't need to question Him. He's over all things, so just obey Him and trust Him. Well, that's pretty good. But that's not how Habakkuk responds here. Another response that people often have is, is they look and they say, God, if this is all going on, I don't know if I can believe in you. 
People become so self-assured that they look and they say, if, if this is happening and you're supposed to be holy and just and we say you're a good God, this doesn't make any sense. I'm done. But Habakkuk, I love this, he does neither of these. No, Habakkuk looks at this and he doesn't abandon God. Why? Because he knows. If he can't understand life with God, he has no hope of understanding life without God. Life makes no sense without God. With God, it's often hard to understand. But you won't understand it all without God. So he turns and he questions God. And here's what I love about him questioning God. It shows the relational aspect of our God. Able to question God. To ask him questions. And God responds back. He can question God because his relationship with God is not based on his good works. It's not based on his behavior. He's not worried, oh, if I question God, God's going to be mad at me. He's going to destroy me. No, it's not based on his religious practices. His relationship with God is based on grace. God has redeemed this man. It's based on faith and grace and the goodness of God. And he questions God because he has relationship. And in verse 5, God speaks. I love this. Habakkuk asks a question, and God speaks directly to him. That's why I think this book is so important to us. Many of us, we have these questions. And we can look at what God said to Habakkuk, and I think God would say much of the same thing to us. And he gives him four commands in this first verse, four what we call imperatives. He says, look, see, wonder, be astounded. Habakkuk, look, see, wonder, be astounded, because I'm about to do something shocking. God is going to shock Habakkuk. Habakkuk won't understand what he's doing. It's not going to make sense to him. God is going to use the nation of Babylon, also called the Chaldeans, for his purposes. He says, at the end of verse 5, he says, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. You can't, you're not going to understand this, Habakkuk. He's about to tell something that's going to make Habakkuk even more troubled. Habakkuk's often called the worrying prophet or the frustrated prophet. And God's answer, it's going to leave Habakkuk more frustrated it's going to leave him with more worry than he had before at this answer. He sees injustice in this nation and God, he, he, God tells him that he knows the Chaldeans. They're a hasty, bitter nation. In verse 11, he sums up the nation of Babylon. He says, Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. You see, the nation of Babylon, they were the rising world power. They defeated Assyria and their day was coming. They were going to be the most powerful nation on earth for a brief period of time. It doesn't last long. Why? They've got military strength. They've got military power. Technology of their day and because of that, their God is their strength. Their God is their power. You see, that's how often the godless live. My strength, 
Maybe it's my own intelligence, somebody thinks. My strength is their wealth. Their strength is their position. And they worship it. And that's what Babylon is doing. They worship their strength. It says in verse 10 that they laugh and they scoff at the rulers of other nations. They're afraid of nothing. They're so foolish they don't even fear God. But God tells Habakkuk this. Habakkuk is asking God, hey God, your people, Israel, do you see what they're doing? They're ignoring you, God. You need to come clean up this mess, God. You need to get involved. And God looks at Habakkuk and goes, I've got this one. I've got it covered. And I'm sending the Babylonians a even more wicked, more godless, more heathen nation to judge my people. That's why it's so shocking. That's why it doesn't make any sense. Habakkuk's complaining. You ever complain to God? I think a lot of us have in some ways. Oh, maybe we don't look at God and complain directly, but in our hearts, in our minds, we're complaining. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand this, God. Why aren't you doing this? Why am I in this situation, God? Do something. And we often can't understand what he's doing. But we have the advantage of history and of time. You see, this happened 2,600 years ago, and we get to see how this plays out. You see, the Babylonians take over Israel, take over Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom carried off by the Assyrians, the, what was called the Holy Land, Israel, the, where the nation dwelt, that piece of land, was essentially abandoned as the Jewish people were carried into captivity. The Jewish people were allowed to return 70 years after captivity. There were 2 million people in captivity. You know how many returned? 49,000. Out of 2 million people, only 49,000 returned. And that other 2 million would end up scattered all over the world. They're all over the place. And anywhere in a city, anywhere in the world at that time, where there was 10 Jewish families or 10 Jewish men, they would establish a synagogue. And they would have worship of God there. And what God is doing is he's spreading his people out for a reason. You see, God in his goodness, 600 years before Messiah comes, is preparing the way for Jesus Christ. The Babylonians and the Syrians caused the Jewish people to be scattered all over the world. And then a couple nations later, Babylon's defeated by the Medo-Persians and a couple other nations, and then the Greeks come and conquer. And what did the Greeks do? One of their biggest gifts to the world united the world's language. Everybody was able to speak Greek. You might speak a couple languages, like most of you here. You speak a few languages. Obviously, you can speak English. And Greek was their unifying language. Our New Testament's written in Greek because of that. So anywhere they went, people could understand them. Then the Romans took over for the Greeks. The Romans built roads. So when that Jesus Christ came and he told his disciples, go make disciples of all nations, they could scatter throughout the world. They could speak Greek. 
And anywhere they went, they could find a synagogue. When you look at Paul's missionary journeys, do you know who the first converts to the early church primarily was? It was a group of people that the Bible calls God-fearing Jews. Well, what is a, I mean, God-fearing Gentiles. God-fearing Gentiles. Well, what is a God-fearing Gentile? Well, a Gentile is simply anybody who's not Jewish. And they would establish synagogues in cities all over the world. Gentiles about the one true God. They would become curious about the one true God. And when Paul showed up and he preached in the synagogue and he preached in the streets, it was those who had heard about the one true God of Israel who received the Messiah. Habakkuk can't understand all that. Habakkuk can't get what all God's up to. That God is at work here 600 years before Messiah, preparing a way for Messiah to come so that his fame, his glory could go to all the nations of the earth. That's why God sort of looks at Habakkuk and laughs and goes, I'll answer you. You're going to be shocked and you're not going to understand what I'm doing or what I'm up to. It's often how it is. In the 1950s, in China, the missionaries were kicked out. An entire missionary community thought, why? We've been here for a hundred years laboring in China to see fruit, and we're starting to see a little bit, God. Why now are we kicked out? Well, God in His sovereignty and His goodness knew what He was up to. And when missionaries and Christians re-entered China from the West, they saw that the church had exploded. It had grown rapidly. It had grown in strength. You see, God, we often don't understand what He's doing. Take the Old Testament story of Joseph. Remember Joseph, his father's favorite? Sold into slavery, thrown into prison. Life keeps getting harder and harder and harder. He doesn't know what God's doing, but God will raise him up to the highest position next to Pharaoh. Why? So that he can save his family, Israel. When we look, we don't often understand what's going on in this world. We know this world is broken. We know that sin exists. That makes us long for heaven. It makes us long for Jesus to return. It makes us look and go, How long, God? When are you coming back? It's been a question that people have asked throughout the ages. We see it throughout Scripture. We see Moses ask that. God, what do you want me to do about these people? We see in the book of Revelation they ask that. We see these things over and over again. If you have small children, you know that once they get exposed to sugar, once they get exposed to candy, at least this has been my experience, that quickly becomes their favorite thing to consume. Small children love candy. They want to eat it. The parent knows if all you eat is candy, you're going to be very unhealthy. You're going to get sick if that's what you eat all the time. 
You're not going to grow like you're supposed to grow if that's what you eat all the time. You've got to eat some fruit. You've got to eat some vegetables. You've got to eat something else. Try explaining that to a little kid. Kid wants candy. You say no, they cry and scream. You can't reason with them and go, well, listen, let me explain nutrition and how it works in your body and how it operates. They're not going to understand that. You just say, you can't have it. You can have this. That's how God is working in Habakkuk. Habakkuk, you don't understand. Oh, sure, I'll try to explain it to you, Habakkuk, but you're not fully going to get it. You're not fully going to understand it. So when we look out in our day and time at the world around us, and we go, God, why is this disease COVID running around? What's going on? God, why is there fighting and violence? Why is there famine? Why are there people in need? Why do we walk on the streets of our city and we see great brokenness? Why is this going on? Know that we may not fully understand. But just because you don't understand doesn't mean that God's not at work. Doesn't mean that God's not over it. God is at work. In fact, we'll see in the book of Acts, Peter take this very verse of verse 5, where it says, you, don't un- you wouldn't understand what's happening if I told you. And he'll speak that to a synagogue in Antioch and say, you don't understand what God is doing through Christ. You're missing it. I pray that we can trust Christ even when we don't understand. You see, Habakkuk, the ultimate point of Habakkuk, it's fulfilled in the cross. The cross, when you look at it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he cried out in the garden, take this cup from me. God, God, take this. Yet not my will, your will be done. The next day on the cross, Jesus hung on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. Scripture says he became sin. As he hung there, he cried out these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father and God the Son experienced something that they never experienced before. And Jesus the Son felt abandoned on the cross. Let me tell you something good. Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that you'll never be abandoned by God. If you're a Christian, meaning if you've trust in the grace of God given to you through Jesus Christ, if you trust in Christ... God will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He won't forsake you. You will arrive safely home. Oh, sure, we won't understand what's always going on. It won't always make sense. But we know that He is with us. And I pray that we can delight and rejoice in that. Next week, church, we're going to look at Habakkuk's next set of questions. Habakkuk gets even more worried and more frustrated. And God is going to answer him in a way that is going to speak even more directly to you and I and how we're to handle the days and times that we live in when we look and we go, why? How long? 
I want to encourage you, sometime over the next week, please read the book of Habakkuk. I think it'll take you maybe 15 minutes for a fast reader, maybe 10. It's a very short book, but take some time to read it. Prophecy is often confusing, but I hope as we walk through it, God speaks to us through his good and perfect word that he spoke to a man who was confused, questioning God. I pray if there's any here today and you don't know Jesus, I pray that he would open your eyes. And I pray if there's those here that you're in the midst of confusion, maybe you're hurting, maybe there's things in your life that you're just going, God, why, how long? I pray that you would know that he's with you, that he loves you, and that he will ultimately see you through. Till either he brings you home or till he returns in his glory. We long for that day, church. Let's pray. God, I do thank you. I thank you for this body gathered here. Lord, it brings great delight and joy to my soul to see the saints gathered to worship you. Yet if they are like me, they're often prone to wonder. When we look at the things around us, we wonder, God, what's going on? And we want to figure out our own solutions, figure it out ourselves. When Lord, sometimes you look at us and you go, you just don't understand what I'm doing. I'm at work. Lord, help us to take confidence in you, even when we don't understand. Lord, help us to be faithful in the midst of a world that is clearly broken and fallen. Lord, we cry out to you for some of the situations we feel pressing. We pray over this disease, COVID. We desire a quick end to it. We're ready for it to go. But Lord, in our not understanding and wondering how long, may we be faithful. Lord, for the unrest, for the fighting, for the violence here in this nation, for all the implications that are hard to understand that come as a result of that, we cry out to you and say we don't understand. We desire peace. So Lord, we pray that you'd bring that. And we pray in the midst of waiting that we can be faithful. And Lord, in each of our own lives, some here are feeling the deep implications of inflation. Some have lost jobs. Some have had children move away. Some have had children abandon the faith. Lord, there are many in difficult situations saying, how long, O oh Lord, and why? Lord, I thank you that you haven't abandoned us. May we find our trust and joy and delight and confidence in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.